Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown AM campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. Glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. The verses will be on the screen throughout the sermon. But Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are going to be. We're continuing on in the book of Ephesians as we go through it verse by verse. And so far what we've seen in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, what we've seen is Paul has been unpacking for us the amazing realities that God has given the people of God. The amazing realities that God has brought to fruition for his people. And as you read this letter so far where we are, not once has Paul given us a command. So far throughout the letter, Paul has told us to do nothing. There hasn't been one command for the church to hear. All Paul has done is describe for us all that God has done. So he started the letter by describing for us all the spiritual and eternal blessings given to the people of God before the foundations of the world. Then he went into how thankful he was for this church, for this people who loved God and loved his people. And this caused him to pray for the church. He prayed for the church that we would know that we're the inheritance of God, that the power God has given to us is the power of the resurrection. And then he went into how these blessings, this salvation came to a sinful people like us. We were dead in sin and yet God raised us to life with Jesus and all that God had been doing was based on grace, not works, through faith not works. And even the good works we're going to do, God had prepared them for us, and they all flowed from his grace. So, so far in the book of Ephesians, all Paul has wanted us to do as a people is listen. Just listen. Just hear all the amazing things God has done for you. No commands, just glorious information about what God has done and is doing. But then we get to verse 11 of chapter 2. Verse 11, chapter 2, and what we see, Paul give the very first command of this letter. The very first command to the people of God is in verse 11. And the very first command that Paul gives for us today is this, remember. Remember. Paul tells this church, these Christians, to remember what your life was like before you knew Jesus. To remember what your life was like before God entered in. Remember that you were not always the person you are now. And he wants us to do that because there's so much power in remembering. There's so much power when we remember what we used to be. See, there's so much power for your lives now when you contemplate and you consider what your life used to be like. What that does, it gives fuel and power to your love for God now. This is especially true in any relationship. In any relationship, if you remember what your life was like before that person you love entered your life, you remember how it used to be, then you think about how things are now, what does it do? It grows your appreciation, your love, and your gratitude for that person. And this is always a good exercise for me to do in my marriage. Most of you don't know my wife, Lauren. You don't know her that well, but I can tell you we could not be more opposite. We could not be more Opposite, yeah, we have uh, our swift uh, similarities in our faith in God and who God is and a couple of TV shows we like, but other than that, that's about it. It's about it. 
She tends to be quiet. I tend to be loud. She tends to be meek. She, I tend to be bold. She tends to like hanging out by herself. I like being around people. On and on I could go. We could not be more opposite. Those who know us, who know us well, know how opposite we are as people. And one of the distinct differences between me and Lauren is that Lauren really cares about how things feel. How things feel. She wants a living room to feel warm. She wants birthdays to feel special. Not just birthdays in general, but the actual birthday. I've found out the hard way, the day is important to her. It needs to feel special. I'm like, yeah, generally you were born in this area. I don't know. Like, but the day is important, okay? A little note later, okay? Day is important. And when things don't feel special, she's very attuned to that. Now, this may shock you. That's not the way I see the world. I rarely go into a room and say, it doesn't feel warm in here. Like, I don't think that. Like, I would be totally content with just two pillows on my bed instead of the 11 that are currently there, okay? <laughs> I'd be content. I'm like, I just put them on the bed and take them off. That's all I do. I don't ever sleep on them. I don't, I don't get it. I, but it makes the room feel different. This is valuable to Lauren. And, I, and as we've uh, grown together, I've actually learned to appreciate this. I value this now in Lauren because I've benefited from it so much. In particular, this last Christmas, I saw it very clearly. This last Christmas, we just got done opening presents. We're sitting there drinking coffee and talking. I looked around at my house and I thought, there's a lot of decorations here. I mean, we have a lot of stuff put up and it makes it feel special. It makes it feel special. And I began to remember and consider what would this be like if I were planning it? What would be around if I was responsible? It'd be a Christmas tree and you should be thankful. That'd be about it. Like, I, I wouldn't think in those terms before Lauren, I had never bought a candle before. Because I already have electricity, I don't need light. What else could they do? Turns out, they make things smell nice, okay? If you're a single guy in here, say, they smell nice, got it. Like, I, I told her without, without her, I would have had a black and white Christmas. I wouldn't have thought about it that way because in my mind, what's most important are the people. See, I wouldn't have thought to have special meals for special seasons. I, I eat the same thing every day. Like, I wouldn't have thought that. So I began to remember what life would be like and what it was like before Lauren was in it. And I remember thinking, well, I care about the people, but she helped me understand, no, the room, the occasion should feel as special as the people are. They should match. And I began to see I'm so grateful for her. My remembering made me appreciate her more, love her more in that moment. That's what remembering does. It produces love and appreciation and gratitude for how things are now. And this is exactly Paul's aim today. Paul wants you to consider who you were before you knew Jesus. Why? So you would marvel at who you are now. So you would look and say, do the hard work of considering how bleak things were, how desperate things were, how hopeless things were, so that you could marvel at the spilled blood of Jesus for you. So let's read the text today, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, this is the word of God. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Paul's writing this letter, and he specifically addresses the Gentiles who are part of this church. So Gentile, when you read that word in the scriptures, that word refers to non-Jews. So if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile by definition of what the term means. Because in the Old Testament, there were basically two groups of people. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews, the Israel was a special people to God. God had set them apart for himself a special nation for him, and everyone else was a Gentile. And in the Old Testament, God gave special revelation, special grace, special things to, the, to Israel he didn't give to the rest of the world. They were this unique people in the story of God's redemption. Paul talks about this in Romans 9. He talks about how special and unique Israel was. Romans 9 verse 4 says, They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The Jewish people had always played a central part in God's story. Always. Always. Jesus Christ himself was ethnically Jewish. His apostles were Jewish. The first followers of Christ were all Jewish. So you can imagine thinking about how special Israel had been in God's story that when God began to bring salvation to people like us, Gentiles like us, when that began to happen, people thought the Jew Christians were actually more godly. They were actually more legit. Because what began to happen, even though both of them had believed in Christ, both of them knew the story. Both of them knew the history. So both of them began to think, well, Jewish people and Jewish culture must be superior to ours. You read Romans 9, they got, the, they got the law, they got the worship, they got the covenant, they got everything we didn't get. The Gentiles must be an afterthought as how they treated them. But Paul is making it abundantly clear that God has saved both Jew and Gentile through the same means, with the same access, with the same spirit, the same savior, and the same father. And he goes into all those details in the text, but before he does that, before he gets there for the Gentiles, he stops and says, I want you Gentiles to remember what your life was like before Christ. I want you to remember what your, your relationship with God was like before you knew Jesus. Look at verse 11 through 12. You can see it for yourself. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, verse 12. Remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Twice, twice Paul tells them, remember. Remember what your life was like before Christ. Remember you have not always had the love and grace of God. Remember when you were not the special people of God, you weren't a part of that people. Remember that all the promises given in the Old Testament, the amazing promises of a coming Messiah, 
The promises of forgiveness of sin, of putting his spirit within us, of a new heavens and a new earth, all of those promises have been given to Israel, not to you. Not to you. And there was nothing you could do to change your status. You weren't a part of Israel. The promises weren't for you. And he closes that list off with that phrase, having no hope and without God in the world. So he he goes through and he tells them that you were separated from Christ, that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that you were strangers to the covenants of promise. And he ends it with this phrase, having no hope and without God in the world. When I read that this week, it stood out to me. That's a massive claim he's making. It's a stark statement he is making of a very grim reality. It's one of those statements you and I read and we kind of gloss over like, hey, yeah, we were without God, we didn't have hope. No, Paul wants us to sit in the fact that we had zero hope and God was absent from us. And he was absent from us. That this is the state of every human being before God without Christ, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We had no hope before him. And Paul wants us today to do the unpleasant work, the difficult work of remembering what we used to be like. See, I want to zero in on that statement, without God in the world. What does that mean? What does Paul mean by that? Does he mean that we, God was absent from us completely? We lived in these little pockets of the world where God was not there? No, it's important to understand the nuance of this statement, because if we don't understand the nuance of it, we'll miss the weight of it. If you don't understand the nuance of what he means, you'll miss the weight he wants us to sit in. So when, God, when Paul says, without God in the world, he doesn't mean there are people and places where God's not there. We know very clearly from the word of God that God is everywhere. One of his character traits is that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So that's not what Paul means. We also know that God is in the world in various ways for both believers and non-believers. I want to give you three really quickly. I want you to know that in the world, believer or non-believer, God displays his glory through creation. Believers and non-believers alike can see God in the world, see his glory through creation. Psalm 19.1 tells us this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That, that awe that you feel when you look at a mountain range or sunset or a bay, that awe you feel, you're seeing the glory of God whether you believe in Christ or not. So God's in the world with us that, that way. But also, every good and perfect gift that we ever receive is ultimately from God. James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every gift in your life that is good came from God. Whether you believe in Christ or not. Every gift. Health, children, finances, whatever. From God. And lastly, every single human being, believer or non-believer, bears the image of God. Bears the image of God. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Every single person bears the image of God. So in all of these ways, God is in the world with non-believers. God was in the world with us when we didn't believe in Christ. So what does Paul mean when he says, having no hope without God in the world? 
He means that God was not present with us as our eternal heavenly father. What he means that God was not present with us as our heavenly father. See, often there's this phrase tossed around in our culture that says we are all God's children. We are all God's children, no matter your faith, no matter your background. And the sentiment in that statement is right in that we're all image bearers of God. But we are not all God's children. We are not. Before we knew Christ, he was not our heavenly father. He wasn't there with us in that way. Yes, he gave us good gifts. Yes, he gave us his image. Yes, he gave us his glory through creation. He did all of those things, but he was not there as our loving heavenly father. He was there as our creator holding us together, the one we had offended with our sin. That's who he was. That's who he was. See, we were hopeless. We were hopeless before Christ because without him, we weren't children. And God's promises are only for his children. I want you to sit in this. You need to think about this. That his amazing promise, that he's going to work all things for good, evil and suffering, he's going to work it all for good, is a promise only for his children. The promise that death is not going to have the final word, that death is just going to be gain, is only for his children. The promise of a new heavens and a new earth with no sin, no suffering, no death, no pain, and new bodies forever in joy, only for his children. And without Christ, we didn't have access to those promises because we weren't his children. He wasn't our father. Our sin had separated us from him. We were hopeless, and the only promise we had, the only promise you and I had before Jesus was the promise of God's coming judgment for our sin. The only promise we had is that God was going to deal with our sin eventually. Eventually. And this was all of our state. No matter what your life was like before you knew Jesus, no matter what you felt like, no matter if you were happy, no matter your family, no matter your job, no matter your financial status, no matter the circumstance, every one of us, hopeless, without God in the world as our loving Father. So if, if you are in here and you've trusted Christ, you believed the gospel, take a second and remember what you were like before that. Just in your mind right now, take a second and remember what you were like. How did you view yourself? How did you view yourself? What were your relationships like? How did you deal with those sins and that shame and insecurity that they brought to you? How did you deal with it? You didn't have God. How did you deal with it? Can you remember what it was like to not have his love, not have his forgiveness, to be in that hopeless state? If you're in here and you got saved when you were younger, you can't really remember a time before Christ, you can look at your life and you can see clearly, if not for his grace, there are many things you would have fallen into. I know for me, as I thought about it this week, I thought about what was my life like before Jesus? There was one phrase that kept coming up in my mind that described me, self-loathing, self-loathing. Before I knew Jesus, I hated being I would dream about one day when I would be different, when I'd be like this person I really admired or have this attribute about me taken away. And I would just 
beat myself up, shame myself because I hated being me. Now, you wouldn't have known that. It was all internal. I never showed it. But deep down, those, those dark nights, that was my reality. I had a good family. I had good friends. I was involved in plenty of things. But that was my reality. And the only way I could deal with it is try to get better. That's all I could do. I could try to make more friends and be funnier, wear better things. I'd try to fix myself in such a way where I'd finally be happy only to come to the conclusion that I still hated being me. I didn't know the unconditional love of God. I didn't know what forgiveness felt like for my sins. I didn't know that. All I could do is heap shame on my shame. That's all I could do. All I could do is be frustrated that I could never be someone different. That's what defined me. But we were all hopeless before God saved us. It just manifested itself differently. What were you like? Some of you, some of you were thinking of very overt things. Of You were caught in all kinds of sexual sin. You were drunk all the time. You had all these overt sins. Others of you were really angry people. Your sins didn't come out as much, maybe. Really envious people. Self-righteous people. But we were not who we are today in Christ. See, our sin, our sin made it impossible to be his children, so impossible to inherit those amazing promises. And Paul is saying, remember those days. Remember what your life is like, but we don't stop here. We don't stop here and just wallow in sorrow. No, the purpose of remembering is what? So we can marvel at the blood of Christ for us. Look at verse 13. This is what Paul does. He tells them to remember their hopeless state, and then he goes to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man and place the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Listen to what he did. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus enters our godless, hopeless lives and brings us near. He brings us near. Regardless of your history, regardless of your background, we all have the same access to God. It's incredible to think about one of the most unique things about what God is doing in Christ compared to everything else in the world. It doesn't cater to any group of people. What God is doing in Christ, the gospel doesn't cater to any particular group of people. See, both Jew and Gentile have the same access to God. You look around the planet, what do you see in the church? So much diversity, even in this room. Some of us are rich, some of us are poor. Ethnicities are different, stories are different, backgrounds are different. It doesn't cater to anyone. We all have the same access. None of us have more access than anyone else. Your bloodline, your status, your profession. It doesn't give you more access to God. We have the same spirit, same father, same savior, same access. See, there is no special class of Christian. There is no secret sect of people who really know how to find God. 
See, as a pastor, I don't have any more access to God than anyone else. There's no person, no clergy who has more access to God than anyone else. Your intellect, your wealth, your talent doesn't matter. See, Jesus broke down any and every barrier to bring us to God. So church, we need to be very weary when someone's telling us, try this new plan and you'll get closer to God. Try this new way of praying and I promise you, you'll feel more intimate with him. And you find them not talking about Jesus a lot. You're not brought to God by some mystical experience. You're not brought to God by some new book. You're brought to God by the Spirit through Christ. That's how you come to him, every single one of us. Now, we all have different stories, different gifts, different roles in the church, different maturity levels, different seasons of life. But God has taken all this group of people who are diverse and spread all over the planet, and he's made us one. He's made us one to drink of the same spirit. He says it at another place in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Went from a people who had no hope without God, possessing his spirit and drinking from his spirit spiritually. That's what we've become. No hope without God. Then we're filled with the Holy Spirit to have access to God as our dad. How did he do it? How did he do that? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. But not just through Jesus generally. Through something in particular Jesus did. Look at verse 13 and 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, we are brought near particularly through the spilled blood on the cross of Christ. See, it's not just that Jesus brings us back to God generally. Jesus doesn't just generally bring us back. His death brought us back to God. So it's important to know that you're not brought near to God by liking his teachings or agreeing with them. You're not brought near to God because you really love the Sermon on the Mount. You love his teachings on love. That does not bring you near to God. Though every single one of his words are true, his teachings don't bring you back. So you're not brought near to God because you respect him as a leader because you consult him on big decisions in your life. No, he's the wisdom of God, he knows all things. We should consult him, but you're not brought back to God by consulting him, by respecting him. No, Paul is making it abundantly clear the only way out of our godless and hopeless state was for him to die. You're brought back to God by trusting in his death for you. See, the Gentiles were not brought into the people of God because they started obeying the law. They weren't brought out of the people of God because they were better than the Jews. They needed what we needed. Someone had to die. That the one who rules the universe, this Jesus who's reigning over everything in this moment, still has holes in his hands, scar in his side. He's the crucified and risen Christ, he had to die. His death brings us near. Because when he was on the cross, he embraced our former life. 
On the cross, he had no hope without God and the world. Because on the cross, God was with Jesus. The Father was with Jesus, but not as his loving heavenly Father. He was with him as the just and righteous judge, punishing him for our sin. And he's on the cross having no hope without God as his Father being punished for our sin. Why? Because the only way back to God is through his death through his blood being spilled for us. That's the way back to him now and eternity future. We're going to know, we're going to celebrate, we're going to sing the only reason I'm with you because the lamb that was slain, that's it. There's no other way back. Jesus came and preached peace to us because he'd already been wounded for us. That's how we're brought near to God. And we have to, we have to remember this story. We can't quit remembering the story because God knows you and me. We're very forgetful people. We're very forgetful people. We tend to think, oh, the joy and the love and the peace in my life, the contentment in my life, I've always had it. But then you think about how you used to be and you remember, I was not always this way. Oh, I've forgotten that all these good things in me, God has been providing them quietly without me realizing and look back at your former life, you begin to remember, I used to be hopeless without God, and the only promise I had was his judgment coming from my sin. And you think about Jesus, he spilled his blood so we could always have access to his Father and our Father. Now, I could end right here. I could end right here. This would be a fantastic sermon for us to think about, I think, for us a word to consider. But as I was writing this week, as I was writing this week, I think we need to take one more step. I think as a people, we need to take one more step. See, we can and should revel in our amazing salvation. But you, if you have checked out, listen to this. Every single person who is yet to trust in Jesus is in that hopeless state we were in. Every single person. Every single person. I truly believe that until your story prompts your heart to break for other people, you don't get it. Until you begin to break for those who are where we were hopeless without God in the world before your prayers are filled with tears because they don't see what we see. Until you begin to remember that not everyone's story is our story right now. Until your heart breaks for those people, I don't think you understand. I don't think you get it quite yet in the way that you should. See, they had the same, they are, had the same plight we had. And if they would just trust in this Jesus, they got the same access we have, no matter their story, no matter their past. But until your heart starts breaking, for those family members of yours who have just made peace with their lack of faith in Christ. Till our hearts break for our neighbors who have everything anyone could want, is yet God's not their father. For this city that loves celebrating all the good gifts that God has given us, and yet we don't celebrate the giver of them. For the billions of people on this planet who have no access to hear about this blood that was spilled to bring them near. 
Oh, church, our hearts have to break. And if you're in here and you're on the fence about Jesus, can I just plead with you? Come on. Come on. You're hopeless. You don't have any hope without him. I'm telling you, he wants to give you everything, the same acts as I have. We weren't better than you. We didn't figure this out. He just raised us up to life, and I want you to come with us. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't think, I'll get around to it eventually. I'm telling you, when you do that, you'll hate that you didn't say yes sooner. I'm telling you, if you're on the fence or you don't know Jesus, I would love for today to be the day when you finally say, I'm in. I want to receive his death for mine. We would love to have you. We'd love to have you. Church, we have to remember. Remember. Remember who you used to be. Remember who you used to be. And remember who you are now. Remember all the things he's done. And may our remembering produce love and fervency and zeal and passion for God. And would it make us plead, beg those who don't know him to come join this life with Christ where all the despair we had is filled with a hope that always abounds. Church, we need to be a remembering people. Let's pray together. Just in this moment of quietness, would you thank God yourself for what he's done in you if you're in Christ? Would you thank him for the joy that you've seen and the peace that you've experienced? Would you, just the quietness, thank him for all that he's done? If you've never prayed before, ask God to show you himself. Ask God to give you faith to believe Jesus for you. Because, Father, when we think about, when we consider the people we used to be, when we consider how far we were from you, how distant our hearts were from you, how you were not with us as our Father, and, God, we begin to see all the ways you saved us, all the ways you've loved us. God, we want to say we did nothing for it. We didn't earn it. We weren't strong enough. We weren't wise enough. We didn't figure it out. God, you saved us. And God, we want to remember that you're going to do even more with us. That you're just getting us ready for the new heavens and new earth with new bodies and new passions and new zeal and new dreams that are never snuffed out, that never break, where joy never ends. Oh, God, you've given all of that to us through the spilled blood of our Jesus. So, God, may he receive the glory and praise and honor and admiration due his name. May every single person recognize how great he is. Would our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors recognize with us he is the one we're longing for. God, that we are not a people abandoned by you. We've been made one. And you've done all of it, all of it, because you loved us for your glory. God, break our hearts that people don't have what we have. 
May it cause us to plead with them, come be near to our God. Our Jesus has paid for everything. God, we love you. We worship you. Continue to change us. Continue to shape us. Thank you for all that you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.